Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line, the boogeyman of the new studio here. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing awesome. And for those out there listening, let's all give Matt a round of applause and a big congratulations. He is a dad for the second time. Yeah. How's everything? Yeah. How's everything? Congrats. I mean, there's no way to say everyone's well rested and my wife has done the overwhelming amount of the work, but you know, it's good. Awesome. You know, Archie is, he's healthy and happy and doing the things that three-week-old babies do so good well yeah you know you do look rested so you're doing something right or you're just i feel like i mean i remember having ours and there's that state of adrenaline where you're not really that tired you're kind of in this weird twilight zone and then eventually your body kind of catches up to itself and then i felt like it was like a month and a half two months and then all of a sudden your body was like okay now like all the like craziness that happened leading up to then is all just gonna hit at once and so i remember for like a couple of weeks i was drained but like it was weird. Right afterwards, I didn't feel that, but I don't know. Extra coffee, I think, right now. There's, Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's good. Yeah, for the listeners, like I said, we're in our new office. We've got our new studio here, and you know, I'm sure you can tell the sound quality is top-notch. Our dear Adelaide Nordier, our marketing manager, helped us out by putting these sound uh, absorbers. What are they called? Panels? Acoustic panels. Acoustic panels. Yeah, no, they, it looks great, and, and it sounds even better. So uh, I'm super pumped to be in here. What about you? Oh, it's. I'm really excited. We're going to... You know, it'll be full content creation studio when we're all done. So we got a oh, few yeah. other things on the way. But if you saw our old place, it was basically just an empty office with tripods everywhere. And then like, <laughs> you know, you had to kind of be very careful walking through it, given everything. And now we have like a ceiling we can hang stuff from. And, you know, the sound dampening stuff should really help with our quality. We'll see. But yes, the Google said it was a good idea. So here we are. Right on. Well, like we couldn't proceed without talking a little bit of Astros. I noticed they just it was at eight to nothing against who was it last? The Washington Nationals. The Nationals. So yeah. give us a quick recap. Everyone's doing good. The boys are rocking along. Hey. Yeah. I mean, so there's, you know, basically you've got like your typical lineup and then what I call what, what people on Twitter, not just me, call it like the no will to win lineup. <laughs> and so like whenever Altuve is back in the lineup and everything seems to be humming, they're they're doing really well. Pitching's been amazing. Yeah. And the bats are kind of waking up. And so yesterday was sort of a didn't really know what was going to happen because of a couple injuries and some other things. But, you know, Verlander, I don't want to say struggled. That might be the but he went five innings and ran out of, you know, it was over 100 pitches. Huh. But he held them from scoring. And then the Astros showed up with some bats. And Oh, nice. So it's exciting. Like, I think they're starting to show some grit. Okay. And, you know, so I'm ready for him to come back to town and watch him in person again. Yeah. Where do they stand in the rankings right now? So, AL West, they are, they should be in first. So, the Angels, they they just passed them up. And I can't remember if it was win-loss, but win percentage for sure, they're ahead of them right now. Okay. 
But have they played the Dodgers yet? No, not yet. No? Okay, I need to keep an eye out of that because I got a good friend who lives in Los Angeles who always gives me a hard time. But, you know, and he's always like, oh, you guys are cheaters, this and that. And he just really is just like prodding, right? But yeah, no, that'll get violent. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm looking forward to that so I can, you know, talk some smack. But anyway, well, thanks for the update, Matt. And for all the Astros listeners out there, go Stros. And if you're not, well, support Houston somehow, some way. And support the flow line. Share it, like it, subscribe. But today we're going to talk about, so well, to a little context, obviously oil prices are extremely high. Rate. Well, I say extremely, but relatively high. Diesel prices at the rig are getting up there. Everyone's kind of scratching their heads, figuring out, well, how can we reduce either the amount of oil-based mud that we lose down hole? How do we limit the amount of diesel? You know, perhaps, well, well, can we switch mud systems? But at the end of the day, everyone's real conscious about how much oil-based we lose down hole. And... With that being said, sometimes you, there's no other option. You have to use oil-based mud to get to TD and, you know, for all the benefits that oil-based mud provides, which is why a lot of people use it. But when you go to run casing, oftentimes you can lose a lot of volume. So now there's the idea of, hey, why don't we displace to something less expensive, i.e. water-based mud or something equivalent around those lines. And so that's where the question got brought up, man. You brought this up and it's funny because the account manager I was actually with last week and, and this this did get brought up. And mm-hmm. then so this is obviously a recent sort of question and, and I think a great topic because right now everyone's looking to sort of reduce the cost as much as possible. And there's things we need to consider when we try and do these types of things. So yeah, what do you, what do you say, Matt? Should we tackle this? I think so. And I mean, you know, just speaking to a broader, this may not be your application, but just think about we're drilling, we go on losses, pretty high rate. And somebody says, you know what? I'm done putting old base mud in the hole. It's just, I'm pumping money away. I'm going to go to water-based, you know, when and where, and at what point is that risky? And obviously there's, it, it depends on everything by, by the conditions, but it's a really good question, especially when, you know, you're halfway down or near TD. What are the risks and and how can we try and keep costs down? Right. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, this could be at the end of the well. It could be halfway through the lateral. It could be in, in a number of different scenarios. So there's always that sort of, you have to kind of go through the iterations of different questions. It's okay, if we do this, then this. And if we do that, well, then that. And But again, so you know, let's talk about the factors because I think that really kind of sets the sort of the direction of which way you want to go, right? For sure. I mean, so think about it. I, I drill out the shoe and I go on losses and everybody says, oh, this is going to be one of those wells. You're probably want to go to water-based mud before you get too far anyways. And then, you know, you're fairly consistent and you're trying to drill the well with water-based mud and it is what it is. Let's say you're 500 feet from TD, right? Then you've got a bit of a, I don't know if conundrum, but it's a different conversation. Do I just deal with the cost? Do I say, look, I already know I'm going to have all these other problems. Let's swap it over. And so one of the big factors I think that's worth you know pointing out is how far are you from TD? And then the other factors to consider are just issues you may or may not have when you make that switch. Right. And I think it's something to note here. We're assuming the losses are uncontrollable. Like obviously, if you start losing mud, you're going to either pump a pill or you know pump some sweeps. Or you're going to try and heal it. But we're assuming that you're basically not getting returns back. Yeah, the the economics are lost on trying to continue with oil-based mud. Right, right. Whatever that looks like to you. Sure. So, okay, then that leads into what issues can arise or what are some of the issues that we need to look at when considering swapping to water-based mud? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the first one is people say, okay, well, what about formation compatibility? Like one reason I like oil-based mud is it's really inhibitive, so I don't have to worry too much about reactive formations. 
And that's true. I think part of the argument discussions we've had in the past is that most of these formations aren't very reactive. So the odds of this, of swapping to something aqueous and introducing water to a formation that's not going to like it is maybe limited. And most of your whole issues associated with a formation are probably more geomechanics related. And so the argument there, and granted, it's not 100% one way or the other, but if you're losing a lot, you're probably not maintaining hydrostatic pressure all that well anyways. And so if you were going to have cavings, you probably would have seen cavings, I guess, is sort of never say never. Some of that thing can be time dependent. Some of that can be, you know, there can be other factors, but you may not need this as high on your list of concerns as you might think if you've been encountering a bunch of losses and you're not seeing a bunch of cavings. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think with regards to, you know, wellboard and stability, I think hole cleaning, if you're losing, I mean, it depends on the scenario, right? There's so many different ones, but, but that would be kind of in my mind, like, well, how well are we going to be able to clean the hole? Likely if you're losing, I guess, depending where you're losing, but yeah, these are things that it's kind of case by case. Yes. But certainly, you know, reactivity, you know, are you just going to displace and all of a sudden get planted because you have no, I mean, it depends on what you're displacing it with. I guess if you're displacing it with say just a brine, you may be good, but if you're, well, let's displace the fresh water. Well, it's like, wait a minute, fresh water is highly, you know, it could be reactive. So, you know, be selective or at least understand the risks depending on what you're going to displace with. And then on top of that, Matt, incompatibility. That's always one that oftentimes some folks tend to forget. Yeah. I mean, and so this is the one that actually kind of, that makes me scratch my head the most. So think about when you do a, and we, we've talked about this in, in other episodes. Okay. I'm going to do an oil-based mud cement job. So I'm displacing my oil, casing on bottom. Let's pretend we have no losses, right? So what, what do you do? You pump an aqueous spacer that's been tested to be mutually compatible between the oil-based mud and the water, the water-based spacer to push the oil-based mud out of the way and clean it up so that the water-based cement gets good contact with the casing and with the formation. The issue here is that when you, you know, flip a mud or even flip the residue of mud, it gets really, really thick. It forms this sludge. We've talked about it when you take water flows and that sort of thing. It is nowhere near as easy to remove chemically. Mm. And so you've got this residue all over everything and your spacer may not clean it up very well. I don't know. There's other effects such as circulating raid and, and some other things, but generally it doesn't clean up very well. And not only that, you think about an undulating well trajectory or you know some of those things where you might have some low spots. If you create this really thick sludge that gets sort of deposited or, or left there, right. you're very likely that the spacer is just going to pass right over it, and then your cement isn't going to be able to displace it you know, we call that channeling. And so, you know, particularly in unconventionals, which is, which is most of our line of work, this goes back to, well, what if I can't get isolation? So I go to fracture one interval and then I try to isolate it and go fracture the next one. And I have communication because I didn't get a good cement job in my production casing. Right. It sort of undermines beyond all the, you know, well integrity questions and other things that we need to think about. It may affect your completion and may affect the productivity of the well. So the, you know, what are the odds of that? And then the risk of creating an issue being that high, you know, the point of drilling the well is to get oil out of the ground. If you don't get as much oil, your economics aren't as great. So you've got to scratch your head and think about that one too. Right. No. And those are things that they're hard for us on the mud side to know. I mean, what, cause again, once we drill the TD, run casing, cement, 
you know, often if, if it's a terrible cement job, you may hear about it, you know, on the rig, but, but beyond that, you know, it's not like we're talking to completions and, and beyond that. And all of a sudden production rates are, you know, not where they should be. You know, it's like, you know, that we're, that's just not part of our, you know, of where we're at, but that's one thing that I'd be curious on is, you know, especially in a, in a well that you're fracking, obviously cementing is important, but what is the typical quality of a cement job, say in West Texas or any sort of unconventional that you're in shale? Like, I, I don't know. I literally have no idea. I, I mean, I'm in the same boat. Like you would think with the frack stages that they apply and the sheer amount of pressure mm-hmm. that like you need a pretty good length of cement that is properly placed. Yeah. But I don't know if it needs to be perfect. I don't hear too many stories about people doing cement bond logs or, right. you know, that sort of thing. So I, I don't really know the level of expectation but if you can't place your fracks, that's going to upset some people. And and I mean, if you're bypassing this thing and it's going, you know, out one perf tunnel and back, you know, back at you, you could be applying pressure from the outside of the casing in yeah. and collapse it perhaps. So the, and I mean, look, so some of this stuff goes back to, we know some of those, you know, those kind of drillers that are like, look, that sounds like a problem for completions. Right. Yeah. I mean, that happens. um, Yeah. But there are obviously like handover qualification tests where you pressure test your casing or you, you know, you do something before you hand over the well. And is it going to meet those criteria? And this incompatibility issue could create some of those issues if you have certain standards with that. And so I can't really define that risk. (laughs) Right. I can just tell you that from having tried to clean up, you know, let's say you flip a mud, ask anybody who's flipped a mud from a water flow or something like that. Yeah. And tried to clean up the pits. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's right. A, it's a like now try and do that down hole where you can't touch anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get a few more chemicals you can use, but it's still, it's a horrific mess where if you pre-treat the chemistry like you would in a spacer, it prevents that incompatibility from happening. That's part of the test criteria is to make sure it doesn't get really thick. Right. So Unfortunately, you can't really do that for an entire well bore. Sure. No. And again, it, it's one thing to, you know, if you're planning on doing this as part of your operation, check with the engineers, check, you know, just again, over communicate. Hey, what are the risks here? Here's something that I foresee happening. Is this a big deal to you? It may or may not be. So again, and then from, you know, assuming you're still going to keep drilling or even if you're not and you got to run casing, lubricity obviously comes into play. How would you, I mean, how, how would we walk through this as kind of should we or shouldn't we type of thing? I mean, I think you can look at your own torque readings. Like, is the reason we used oil-based mud because we're drilling a four-mile lateral and we feel like it's the only thing that will get us to TD? Because if that's the case, we may be hard up. And even if we get to TD, do we feel like we can get, you know, do we have a technique to get the casing to bottom? And how confident are we in it if we're not using oil-based mud? So there's that. And then the other part of it is, okay, I'll switch to water-based mud and use a lubricant. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're on losses, you're going to have a really hard time maintaining that concentration as well, right? Yeah. You won't get full contact across all the pipe and that could create other issues. But I think we understand there, like, you're trying to make the least worst decision among a number of bad options when you're in this situation (laughs) too, right? And so the best we can do as a service provider is say, look, I'm going to educate you as best I can, but you know we need to talk about the risks and make sure you're comfortable with them and that you can still meet your well objectives. Because you know cementers probably on that last one, cementers probably have a say in that too, and I don't think they'll put their name on it once once you say, well, your spacer's probably not going to work, and we could have all these other things that make your cement job more difficult, but you're still responsible. They'll probably say, well, we'd, we'd rather not do that. Right. 
Well, you're exactly right, Matt. And I mean, we touched on a lot of different points. And so, you know, unless you're at your desk taking notes, you may say, okay, what was what were some of those things again? So Matt, tying it all together, how would we, in summary, if you're you're drilling with Oblase Mud, you're taking a ton of losses, and the comment or thought of possibly displacing to water-based mud occurs or it comes up, again, what are the considerations and what do we need to look out for? I think kind of like we said, the big picture is when did you displace, right? If you if you displaced early and you mostly drilled this well with water-based mud, you probably don't even care about this episode that we're talking about. <laughs> but if you're near TD and you've drilled most of this with oil-based mud or you're at TD and you're saying, look, I'm going to lose a bunch of oil-based mud on my cement job. Like, why don't I just go to water? I mean, you need to take into consideration the cementing risk and the cementing risk being that contact, what have you, risk of channeling, that kind of thing. And even if you say, okay, what is that? That's a risk I'm willing to consider. If you do have requirements or expectations, what is the cost to fix that, right? So maybe you're willing to put it out there as a, let's try it. But what is it if I get a bad cement job? Am I ready to like perf and squeeze? Can I even do that as an option to try and get a good bond? And then, you know, what are you going to do to validate that? You know, as far as you're going to pay for the bond log, does your company have other validation requirements that they're going to expect if the cement job doesn't go as you expected. And that, you know those are the scenarios mostly near TD where it becomes really critical. But there's always some risk. You switch from oil-based to water-based. There's always a little bit, even if it's not huge for a lot of the unconventional stuff we do, where you have some undesirable formation interaction that makes it tough to get casing down or some of these other things. But big picture, I think, I just worry about that sludge. That's It wreaks havoc on things. Yeah, and no, so it's a mess. But this is a real exercise. Like this is a real scenario that comes up periodically. And I think it's a really good question. Of like, okay, well, if I'm going to, we talked about scavenger slurries in an episode, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, well, if I'm going to leave this stuff behind casing, if I can reclaim a couple hundred barrels, like I should try, Yeah, you know? Especially in today's environment. I mean, any yeah. environment, but again, like the economics get kind of tighter and tighter when we're above $100 oil. Yeah. And it's funny, right? Like you could say this thing, you know, in, in 2020, and it was because you couldn't spend an extra dime. Right. And now, like, the price of oil is good. And so, you know, lots of people are making money, but nobody wants to spend another dime because costs <laughs> are so high, right? Exactly. So <laughs> There's never a great moment to spend extra money where you don't need to. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought this was a really interesting consideration. And yeah. I'd be interested if if anybody listening, you know, if they've been through some of these things, because we know what happens periodically, you don't have a choice in a number of these scenarios. Yeah. But during some of the ones where it was a little bit riskier, you know, did you try anything special? Did you use any any different techniques? Or do you just feel like you can get away with it? Yep. I mean, good yeah. point. I'm sure the question everyone's asking out there is, well, what about going the opposite direction? So stay tuned for another episode where we talk about going from water-based to oil-based instead of just oil-based to water-based. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for everyone listening. And if there's anything that we touched on today that either you have experience with, like Matt said, please engage with us on LinkedIn, or you can hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Check us out on, again, LinkedIn. Our AES Fluids handle is, is continuing to grow. Lots of great information and content out there. Matt and I are active on there. Check out our website. It continues to get updated. I mean, all the good information that we're putting out there is all, you know, packaged nicely and organized on our website, aesfluids.com. And with that said, take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. 
And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.